0: Then, if you would take your Bible and turn to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find this on page 1179. Uh, So Luke 2 in the Pew Bible, that's on page 1179. I want to read this morning uh, from verses 1 through 20. We'll be focusing especially upon verses 1 through 7 this morning, and then this evening we hope to consider a section a little bit further down. But for a bit of context, I want to read from verses 1 through 20. I hear now the reading of the Word of God. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid." And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And thus far for this morning, our reading from the word of God. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity again this morning to consider the wonder of the incarnation, uh, that is, uh, the coming of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. I remember years ago uh, an experienced minister, uh, not a minister associated with this congregation, uh, but a minister said to me uh, that he almost dreaded Preaching Christmas Day sermons. And I asked him why. And his answer was because he sensed that he didn't have anything new to tell the congregation. They had heard the same message over and over and over. And from time to time, and again, I stress that this minister is no one even connected with our Federation of Churches. I've reflected upon his statement. And in part, I agree with it. In this part, that we don't have anything new to tell you this morning. We don't have any new insight to add to what, no doubt, many of you have heard many, many a time when it comes to the truth of the Incarnation. We have not discovered any Previously unknown secret. So perhaps if you've come hoping to hear something new, you will be disappointed. But I also disagree with that minister statement. I find a sense of contentment and satisfaction in simply proclaiming to you the same message that the angels initially proclaimed in verse 10. Do not be afraid. Behold, there are good tidings. Good tidings of great joy. And what are those good tidings of great joy? Just simply this. There is born to you and to myself. There is born unto us a Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord. And I want to consider that truth this morning as we find it revealed in Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, underneath the simple theme or title, The Birth of Jesus. And notice, first of all, the history of the birth of Jesus, and then secondly, the location of the birth of Jesus, and then thirdly, the humility of the birth of Jesus. So we have before us for our consideration this morning, according to Luke 2, 1 through 7, The Birth of Jesus. We'll notice, first of all, the history of And then secondly, the location, and then thirdly, the humility that is expressed in the very birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, So first of all, consider with me uh, this morning the history of the birth of Jesus, the details, and also the importance of that history. By history, we mean that there was an actual event that took place in time. History is vitally important, especially to the Christian, even though the importance of history is being questioned by many in our culture, Uh, and even so-called reconstructed uh, by uh, those who pretend to have some new insight into what has occurred in the past. Christianity at its very essence is what we would call a historical religion, not only that it has existed for uh, history, but also that it believes in certain events that have occurred in time, in time past, in history. Uh, Some of these details, and this is not exhaustive, but Luke informs us, and if you have any knowledge of uh, the nature of Luke's writing, you'll know that of all of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, who were all inspired by the Holy Spirit, that, that Luke especially focuses in on the historical details. He was a man of detail. And so he brings out certain historical markers, so to speak. And so we know that the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ took place under the historical circumstances of a Roman census. Now, whether that was just simply a numerical accounting of all of the inhabitants of the Roman Empire, or whether it had some type of taxation purposes, returning to your hometown so that you could pay some type of property tax, we're not exactly sure, but we do know that there was a certain decree that went out from a certain historical person, and that that impacted and influenced the decisions of the travels of Joseph and of Mary. So a young betrothed couple, engaged, engaged to be married, legally bound one to another, not yet enjoying the full expression of married life, but legally bound as husband and wife, Mary and Joseph, travel also to their hometown of Bethlehem. And yet there is something unusual about this couple, because you have to imagine uh, that the the streets, the, the, the pathways throughout Judea would have been filled by people traveling, not just simply out of some holiday celebration, but because of the taxation and because of the census. But this young betrothed couple, Mary and Joseph, there's something unique about them. She is with child. Now, that in and of itself is perhaps not that unique, but the background behind her conception is unique because she has conceived without the involvement, without the will of a human biological father. Indeed, her conception is a supernatural result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And the child that she carries is also unique and that this is the eternal Son of God made flesh. And so they travel to Bethlehem, perhaps uh, something close to a 90-mile journey uh, from the northern town of Nazareth. Now, obviously, I have never experienced pregnancy. Uh, my wife has five times, and I've seen in her experience something of the joys Uh, of pregnancy, but also something uh, of the difficulties of pregnancy. Now imagine coming close to full term and traveling 90 miles not in the convenience uh, of a nice riding automobile, no, perhaps on the back of a donkey. There's something unique about the circumstances already pointing to the humility of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But before we get into that, I just want to point out and emphasize the reliability of these details. If you go back to Luke, uh, chapter 1, where Luke begins his account, uh, verses 1 through 4, Luke says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has this purpose. He wants to lay down a detailed, not exhaustive, but a detailed orderly account of the historical events that took place in regards to the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And notice the reason why, verse 4, that you may know the certainty of those things. Luke wants Theophilus to have a conviction, a certainty about what he believes in. Faith, Christian faith, true, sincere faith, is not some leap into the dark. It's not just some, I don't know what's truth, so I'll just grasp after this. No, Luke writes at Theophilus so that he might know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. And you and I also throughout our years, whether they be few or whether they be many, have been instructed in all of the historical events and the theological details of the incarnation. And what we want to do this morning is just remind you and encourage you and exhort you, believe with certainty that these things actually took place just as they are recorded in the inspired pages of Holy Scripture. Uh, But notice that this is the importance of history. History, and by history we can understand the successive unfolding of events gradually throughout time notice that history as thus defined is the realization of the eternal decree of God And I think that's helpful for us to bear in mind as we live underneath uh, the influence of kings and of presidents and of emperors now We don't have emperors and kings per se, but those who are in positions of high authority They are but mere pawns in the hands of Almighty God So, Luke 2 tells us that there is this census that is recorded uh, by the governing officials, Caesar Augustus. Augustus has the idea of magnificent. Isn't it interesting that a civil magistrate would give himself that title, that he is the magnificent ruler over the entire world, and yet what is he but a pawn in the hand of Almighty God? And he issues a census because God has a purpose. And that purpose is that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. And so Christian, as you see history unfold itself with events that at times can be perplexing, know that God is in the heavens, gradually unfolding his eternal purposes, especially in the realization of all that is necessary for the work of salvation so the history is a detailed history that is important for us to believe notice also then in our second point the location of the birth of jesus this is emphasized that jesus was born in bethlehem and we could also say it this way not only was jesus born in bethlehem jesus had to be born in bethlehem and there's a difference between those two statements The one is simply acknowledging a historical fact. The other is emphasizing that there is a divine reason behind the historical fact. First of all, the description of where Jesus Christ was born. We emphasize here that as a result of this census, ultimately as the result of the will of God, Joseph, along with Mary... Uh, along with the as-of-yet unborn child, the Messiah, the Emmanuel, God with us, the Word, having become flesh, moved from the northern town in Israel of Nazareth to the southern town of of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem located approximately five miles uh, away from Jerusalem. But Bethlehem, the city of bread, as the name actually means, was a very important city. Although a rather small city, not even really a city as we define them today, more like a village, Bethlehem, although small in size, was not insignificant in the purposes of God as revealed throughout history because Bethlehem, and if you want to know the one most important thing about Bethlehem, it was this, it was the birthplace of David of King David. Boys and girls, you remember King David. Before he was the king, he was the shepherd, and he was born and raised in Bethlehem. Well, you say, well, what's the importance of David and of Bethlehem? Uh, The importance is really emphasized with a statement made in 1 Samuel 16, uh, verses 1 and 13, and you can just jot that down for your uh, reference or you can turn to that reference. But in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13, we read as follows. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? So Samuel's mourning over King Saul, but the Lord says, Don't mourn, I've rejected Saul. I'm done with Saul, if we can put it in common uh, parlance. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among my sons. So the Lord is saying, Samuel, don't worry about Saul. I have a king. I have a king in mind. I have a king who comes from the city of Bethlehem. I have a king who is a son of Jesse. And then Samuel, in verse 13, took the horn of oil and anointed him that is David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And this gets to the vital importance of the location of Jesus Christ's birth because the king, the king of the kingdom must come from the line of Jesse and must come from the city of Bethlehem because God has said, the God who redeems has said, I have a king in mind, and that king comes from the sons of Jesse, from the sons of Bethlehem. Now we might say, well, that was David. Yet, what happened to David is what happens to all human individuals, including kings, David died. And that's because David was only a prototype only a foreshadowing, only a picture of the greater than David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and so in the midst of all of the perplexities of time and of history and of life, we can say God has a king, a redemptive king, a king who comes and brings salvation. And that king was the king who was born in Bethlehem. That king was the king who is the son of Jesse, the the son of David. And with that king, God has established an eternal covenant of redemption and grace to provide salvation for us. Salvation from our sins. Salvation from the guilt of our sins. Salvation from our enemies, including the devil. And so when we read about the, the city of Bethlehem, Our hearts really ought to leap with joy and adoration. Not just because of some curiosity about a small little village thousands of years ago, but because God is a faithful God who remembers His covenant promises. Made to the greater than David, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is the purpose of the location If you look back, uh, we're emphasizing here uh, what you see there in the end of verse 4, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. And in Micah 5, verse 2, we find a prophecy. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You see, this was the plan. This was the purpose of God all along. That from out of the seemingly insignificant village of Bethlehem, which many, many, many uh, pretended important person would have passed by with scarcely a thought that from out of Bethlehem would come the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And He would come bringing peace. Isn't that what the world longs for? Now, perhaps many a person doesn't really understand the nature of peace. And maybe many a person looks for peace in all the wrong areas. But is it not a nearly universal desire to have peace? Peace comes from out of Bethlehem. Peace comes from the line of David. Peace comes from the King of kings, from the Lord of lords, who is the Prince of Peace. But notice the history and the location, but then something of the humility of the birth of Jesus And in this third point, we want to try to emphasize the truth that is found in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Uh, There we read, Paul write to the Corinthian church, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Uh, And the entire narrative, the historical narrative of the Incarnation, emphasizes Yes, certainly, the eternal deity of Jesus Christ, but especially the humility of the incarnation, the fact that He who dwelt in the heavens from all of eternity, one in essence with the Father and the Spirit, infinite in all of His perfections, voluntarily condescends to come down and stoops down to the very lowest of the lows with a visible display of humility, in his very birth. You know, there are, there are other legends, fables of the divinity breaking into the realm of the humanity, but they're usually accompanied by unbelievable, remarkable emphasis on a, a person's supernatural activities. And so, for example, uh, there, there is the explanation uh, that a, a deity does a remarkable thing upon breaking into the realm of the humanity. But when you read the the story of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's remarkably common. You can think of, yes, the conception of Jesus Christ was supernatural, and we emphasize that. That is a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. But the pregnancy of Mary in connection with the full gestation term There was nothing supernatural or remarkable about that in and of itself. Her time had to fully come. And we can rightly imagine that there would have been all the experiences that an expectant mother had. As that human nature, especially the human body of our Lord Jesus Christ, grew you can think also of the birth of jesus christ remarkably common she brought forth her son now the scriptures and this testifies to their inspired character the scriptures are so remarkable in setting forth truths but doing so with a certain discretion it doesn't go into any unnecessary detail about childbirth But Jesus Christ did not exit the womb in some supernatural manner. Just as an innumerable number of women have done since the beginning of history, Mary brought forth a son. And you can think also of the actions. I well remember when uh, my wife and I's children were born and I may have shared this with you before, if I I did so, forgive me for repeating illustrations, Uh, but my my wife was very, very gifted at swaddling, well, we didn't use that word, but swaddling our children. You know, you get the standard hospital-issued blanket, but my wife uh, was an expert at folding the blanket in diagonal and laying the infant child there and, and wrapping the, the, the one side tightly over uh, the arms and the legs. And then I think the bottom went up, I, I could never do it. You know when dads, you know, when, when they uh, put a blanket on a baby, there's an arm sticking out here and a leg sticking out there and the blanket's half falling off the baby. But, but moms have a special maternal gift. We had a saying, wrapped up snug as a bug in a rug. And that's what she would do because that's what mothers do. Now, some say that this has some benefit, you know, for the formation of the limbs and just for the the comforting of the child who has spent nine months of existence in the close, safe confines of the womb. But the point here is this is what mothers did. And, And think the eternal Son of God in His human nature is wrapped in swaddling clothes just like any other firstborn newborn would have been and then he's laid not in a nice bassinet i remember the bassinet we had i think it's somewhere in the extended family now still being used as children are blessed to the family v- very nice looking thing It was white had some i don't know lacy frilly stuff around again, that mothers really are into. I think it was comfortable. Obviously, I never, I never laid in it, but I had a nice little foam bottom to it. Not too soft to, to risk suffocation, but comfortable. Now, we, we can imagine that Joseph and Mary would have made the manger as comfortable as they possibly could have, but it was a manger, a place where brute animals received their daily sustenance. And that's where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ spent the first night of his earthly life. In some ways, foretelling what he himself would say, the foxes, they have holes, and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Because he came in humility. Why did he come in such humility? Because of the purpose to save, to save sinners. He had to continually descend down to the very bottom depths of hell itself. And so, when you think of many a person's life, and this isn't true for all of us, but many a person's life, there is a gradual upward trajectory. Considering our knowledge, considering our attainment, perhaps of physical material provisions. Many of us, as the years go on, we find ourselves from a certain perspective saying, well, we're better off than we were ten years ago. We're more comfortable in life than we were ten years ago. We're more financially secure in life than we were ten years ago. And we can think also of the history of humanity with the developments that are given to us by God's goodness. There are positive developments Now, we know that there is an ongoing moral decay, we know that lawlessness will continue to abound, but you can think of even the conveniences that we've experienced uh, throughout this winter storm compared to, say, 150 years ago. Maybe we thought our house was drafty on Friday, but can you imagine a sod hut? And you can think of some of the advancements in medicine, simple advancements, Yet advancements that we are very very thankful for but the life of the lord jesus christ was not one of gradual progression in the experience of blessings but rather a gradual descent into ever deepening depths of humility why because he came to save his people from their sins and here's where I believe there is a real danger when it comes to Christmas that we dress it all up in figuratively speaking nice wrapping paper. But we lose the, the significance of why there is the incarnation that He might save His people from their sins. And so I want to ask you in conclusion, do you know Do you know the reason for the incarnation? As it's revealed in the history and the location and the humility of the birth of Jesus Christ? Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners? Do you know that with the experience and the exercise of a personal, sincere faith, now, I know it's outside the, the bounds of our specific text, but you'll notice how the reactions to the Incarnation are twofold. There, there's the one message, there, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. And the shepherds, also the lowest members of the so-called social system of the day, they respond With the exercise of faith now how mature their faith was perhaps it wasn't that mature but they responded positively to the announcement that a savior is born they responded by going to the savior and then worshiping the savior and praising the savior and you often and i'm not encouraging uh i'm not commenting on the more validity of nativity scenes. Uh, don't lose the point of the illustration because of the details of the illustration. But you you see sometimes these nativity scenes, and you know there's the little the little cattle shed and the manger and the baby there, and Mary and Joseph and uh, the shepherds, and uh, there's some animals around, and it, and it is very clean and it's very nice, and maybe it gives you a, kind of a, you know some some warm little sentimental uh, butterflies. But there's There's something missing. Why isn't there never a nativity scene that about five miles away has Herod and the religious leaders of the day? Now, no doubt the the wise men, the magi, the men from the east came much later, given uh, the amount of travel that had to come. But you know that the wise men, uh, they also inquired. Where can we find this Jesus? And the religious leaders of the day, they knew exactly where to find Jesus according to their superficial external knowledge of the prophecies. Why don't nativity scenes have the spiritual leaders far, far, far away in their arrogant pride and presumption? Because how sad that they knew all the details about the Incarnation, about the history, about the location, even about the humility. But they couldn't find it within themselves to walk five miles to see the Savior. They missed it. Why? They stumbled on the humility of the Savior. And my pastoral fear is that someone hears these words in some manner at some time and nods in intellectual agreement to everything that we've just said in the last 30 minutes, but then never makes The so called walk of faith, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, glorifying him and praising him. And so, in closing, I ask you, as I ask myself, how have you received this news? May it imitate something of the shepherds. Let us go and see with the eye of faith, the incarnate Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, what a remarkable wonder the Incarnation is. A wonder that we cannot begin to plumb the depths of. And yet, Lord, You have revealed that which we need to know, that which is necessary for us and for our salvation. And so we ask now that You would bless the proclamation of Your Word, that uh, You would arrest us if need be, that our minds would not quickly be carried away, and that uh, these words would not simply fall uh, amidst our hearts and upon hardened ground of indifference, but Lord, that we might ponder these things perhaps for the first time or perhaps for uh, a multitude of times. And that we might be overwhelmed again by the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, especially seen in his incarnation. We pray this for his name's sake. Amen.